everyone. Welcome to another edition of Second Drafts, the podcast. If you've been following along as a reader, hopefully you're also a paid subscriber. Uh, we'd love to have you follow along here in our uh, podcast. I've got a special one that, uh, well, every one of them is special. We've had great guests. Um, we tend to have folks who have unique experiences, particular expertise, or are just plain fun, and it sure seems like all the time we've had about all three. It's an hour long. It's something that uh, I do once a month as part of the writing for Second Drafts for the newsletter. And uh, so I just appreciate everybody listening and taking the time to uh, to join us for this hour. Uh, this week, this month I should say, in the wake of the news of the Supreme Court's possible repeal of Roe v. Wade, uh, pro-life groups are putting even more thought into how to help pregnant mothers and their babies, certainly before and up to birth, but also, and as importantly, after. One of the most strategic means of doing this is adoption. And in this May episode of the Second Drafts podcast, Peaches and I interview friend and fellow church member Lindley Hart to talk about her experience as an adoptive mother and her insights into how the church can continue to come alongside mother and baby alike for the sake of life. And uh, that's what we're going to be talking about. Uh, back in January, I did a podcast with a friend of mine at church, uh, Catherine Albrecht. We talked about abortion. I wrote about it last week on the pod, or on the in the newsletter in a piece called Pro-Life, Pro-Woman. And today, I want to deal and present some some solutions and some options to what is is a huge problem in America, as well as a huge uh, thing that's it's going to be interesting to see where all this goes. Let me tell you a little bit about Lindley, and then we'll get into things. Lindley Hart is an illustrator and freelance graphic design artist by trade. After working as the art director for the Museum of the Rockies here in Bozeman, she worked at a local ad agency and soon transitioned into the freelance world. Some of her clients include Montana Ballet Company and Bunkhouse Brewery. Now there's a combination (laughs) right there. A member of Trinity Church, Lindley and her husband Rex have two sons, Jay and Max, both of whom the hearts have adopted in the past four years. Other than her family and Jesus, her greatest loves are books, coffee, and Legos. Now, <laughs> did you like Legos before you adopted the boys, or are you kind of a latecomer to the Lego world? I have loved Legos all my life. Okay. But I definitely find that as like a good escape from parenting okay. post-children. <laughs> so, so not even with the boys, you're just doing Legos on your own? I have I have Legos that I do with the boys and Legos that I do by myself. Oh, okay, so you have adult Legos yeah. and children Legos. Good. You you truly are a dedicated fan. Then. Well, Lindley, thanks for doing this. I really appreciate you making the time. And kudos mm-hmm. to Rex, who is uh, holding down the fort with mm-hmm. the boys at mm-hmm. home. But uh, I don't I don't know. I mean, I know you. I know you by name. I know. Mm-hmm. You've you've invested quite a bit in our family, just in terms of you've met with our girls and um, with Maddie and Bruce. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the Hearts are Maddie and Bruce's landlords, and they're <laughs> really kind to them. So I'm I'm grateful for that. But uh, I'm excited about this because I, I feel like this is going to be an opportunity to get you get to know you a little bit better, just personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, obviously, you know what we want to talk about is the. The journey that you and Rex have been on with adopting Jay and Max, 
two little African-American boys who are bundles of energy and everybody in the church knows them mm-hmm. and uh and i think mostly for all the right reasons maybe there's I hope so. maybe there's a couple <laughs> but um anyway tell us a little bit about you know who you are where you grew up um just a little bit about your background yeah absolutely um and thank you so much for having me i'm i'm a little nervous so if you hear a little quiver in my voice i'll, I'll try to contain it but okay. um so i grew up in southern idaho i had very strong Christian family, upbringing, raised in the church. Um, But I didn't really become a Christian until I was a junior in college. And it was actually here at Montana State through Trinity Church. Really? Really. Yeah, I I started coming to church here and thought thought that everyone thought I was a Christian. It wasn't until years later I found out that I was not fooling anyone. (laughs) But but yeah, I I was mentored by Julie Kelly, which I feel like everyone has connections to the Kellys in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's see, I moved here for school. So I went to the Montana State's um, graphic design program. Okay. Um, and then through a series of internships and knowing the right people, I landed the job at the museum and have just been able to stay here and work. And I met Rex at the college and career group, which we now co-lead with right. Pastor Brian and Alicia. So I got very attached to that group and refused to leave. Um, and then, yeah, I we've just been very loved by the church, very supported through lots of different things. And that included infertility and mm. bringing home our boys. And it continues on in parenting. And, right. Um, yeah, is there anything else that... No, that, that gives that us a, a little good background. Now, would, were you, are, do you still work with the museum? Not really Not anymore. Really. Okay. Yeah, I did a few freelance projects for them after okay. um, after I left, but I think they've cycled through and have sure. now moved on, and the people that work there don't sure. know me anymore. <laughs> okay, I know what that feels like. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you're, but you're doing some freelance work mm-hmm. still on your own in between mm-hmm. parenting late at night, early in the morning, mm-hmm. I'm guessing, to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, that was, I think, the most eye-opening thing for me after we brought Jay, our oldest, home, was I, I was convinced that I could just freelance and be a stay-at-home mom and not cut back in any way at all, and that really slapped me in the face mm-hmm. as being hard to manage. Um but I, I do have, I've been able to keep some really great clients. And mm-hmm. so now I'm at this point where my income from my work is more supplementary. Mm-hmm. And so it gives me a lot of freedom to just do the work I want to do and when I have the time to do it. Oh, that's great. Um, so it, it's been just a huge blessing. And just for everyone listening, what does Rex do? What's his vocation? That's that's a really good question. Okay. He, uh, <laughs> I, I don't actually know if I can answer it. He okay. kind of is dabbling in lots of different things right okay. now. He he used to work for Right Now, um, which, which then turned Oracle, um, and then he was let go during COVID. Hmm. Um, and so he's been he's been working for his dad a little bit out at his ranch. He works for the church part time. He he does. We own some land around town, like hmm. you mentioned that we we're Bruce and Maddie's landlords right. and. So he's property managing. He's he's a man of many talents. He's doing a lot of different right. things. And Rex also is he heads up our deacon board mm-hmm. at church yep. and, so, and does a great mm-hmm. job with that. So mm-hmm. now 
Tell us about the guest stars here. Tell us about Jay and Max. How old are they? Just kind of give us the story of, of who these little guys are. So I have, I, I feel like they're really just the most intensely wonderful and wild little boys. <laughs> um, Jay will be five next month, okay. which is really hard for me to process. It feels really weird. Because you got him when? How he old? was two weeks old He's, when we brought wow, him. Wow, okay. mm-hmm. So we got him really new. Um and Max just turned two in January. So he's okay. about two and a half. So we're right at that age of just pure chaos mm-hmm. all the time. <laughs> um, but they're both really sweet. Uh, really, they're just, they're really fun. I mean, I'm exhausted all the time. And I I thought that I had like normal level craziness in parenting. But I've had several friends that were like, your boys are so busy. <laughs> I'm like, oh, thank you. That's really validating to hear because... <laughs> Um, it can be a lot. Um, but yeah, they're just, they're always moving, always destroying my house, always getting out and getting dirty. Mm -hmm. Um, but they're also both really like tender and kind. Like I, I think one of my proudest things as a parent is I see them apologizing to each other. Mm. And I know that's because Rex and I have made a big effort to apologize to them. Um, but we can see this just this heart for people in both of them, but especially Jay, cause he's older. Sure. Um, he really loves people. He wants to, he wants to make people laugh. He likes to be silly. And, um, and Max is my cuddler. Like he mm. kind of wants to be held all the time, which is a lot, but I try to remind myself that this time is fleeting and that it's sweet. Mm. <laughs> so, mm. Yeah. Uh, that's great. Yeah, there we definitely see lots of energy when I when I see them on Sundays. And yeah, don't don't blame me for the fact no, that no, they no. sprint through church every week. I can't control them. <laughs> they're uh, they're they're boys, yeah. and that's uh, that's that's fun. That's mm-hmm. um, and they feel comfortable. I think that's yes. the other thing. You know, they feel mm-hmm. um, they they feel like they belong, mm-hmm. and uh, certainly within. I think the church body, but also I think definitely within your family. Mm-hmm. Now, tell us how, I mean, what led to adoption and what were the things that, um, mm-hmm. how did you come to be their parents? Yeah, that, I feel like I have a more unique story with that than a lot that I hear. I think I, I know of a lot of people who have adopted who were like, oh, I knew I wanted to adopt mm. ever since I was in high school. Like my older brother is one of those. He always wanted to adopt kids and he's an adoptive dad and Mm. so it like made sense and rex and i when we first got married and didn't have kids and we're planning out our whole lives we really didn't see adoption in our future Mm. and we talked about that like we we knew when we wanted to start trying to get pregnant and we kind of decided that if we if we couldn't have biological kids they were like all right that'll be fine we'll travel We'll swim in our pool of gold coins and <laughs> it'll be great. And we, and that was our plan. And then after finding out that we couldn't have biological kids, we were then slapped with this reality of like, oh, well, what does that actually look like now? Um, and it was interesting because we, so I, we both really just like came to this point where picturing our life in the future without kids didn't make any sense um and it didn't feel right and uh so we went through some fertility treatments but it was we got to a certain point where we both just got uncomfortable with it and it didn't feel right 
so then adoption was kind of our only option and then then we really had to look into like we don't want to adopt just because that will give us kids Mm. i mean that is part of the motivation but we wanted to make sure that we weren't approaching it a hundred percent selfishly like we wanted to make sure that we were actually going to like be loving kids and um that's one of the reasons we decided to go out of state to adopt our our boys is because there was just more of a need like Mm. there was there's higher population higher i don't know there just there was more children available mm-hmm. um when we looked into adopting from montana we noticed that their great need was foster care and mm-hmm. we just didn't feel like we were prepared for that yet mm-hmm. i think in the future we're open to foster care but that wasn't something five years ago or six years ago that we could we were quite quite ready for mm-hmm. um so yeah the when we the more research we did the more we felt this tug on our hearts and then as soon as we got into it, like really filling out paperwork, the more I feel like God just like lit a fire and it was like mm. he had to break us first and mm. then was like, this is what I have planned for you oh. guys. Now, what so. was that process? Um, how long from you mm-hmm. you found out you were infertile, you went through some fertile, some fertility treatments mm-hmm. and kind of looked at that? What How long was that? Oh, um... Let me think. I think the, I think we tried to get pregnant for a couple years. Um, if I remember correctly, it's really like time before kids sure. is hard yeah, to, it's, <laughs> it's it's hard like to remember. Life, sure. um, I think, I think it was a couple of years. I think we only did one year without medical intervention. Okay. Um, and then it was like six months of back and forth testing and figuring things out. And then, so yeah, maybe just a year and a half of like thinking that pregnancy was the way to do it. Right. Um, and then I think we shifted after shortly after that. And so the, you ended up the boys are from Atlanta, mm-hmm. right? That's mm-hmm. where, they're both from there, but they mm-hmm. they have different parents. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, we also we have family in Georgia. Okay. So when we. Um, thinking through like when we went to pick up the logistics mm-hmm. sure you'd be able we to... could stay with them um and and we also had a friend who adopted from or i had a friend from high school who adopted from this agency okay and so we really wanted to make sure that we could did this as ethically as possible so we like there's just a ton of agencies facilitators that just aren't doing things well for birth families specifically. And so we wanted to make sure we found an agency that was taking care of our children's birth moms. Like Mm -hmm. that was super, super important. So that, so there was a bunch of things leading us to this one agency in Georgia. In Georgia. And Mm -hmm. was it in Atlanta? So it's actually in Thomasville. Thomasville. Mm -hmm. Thomasville. And so our boys were both born outside of Atlanta. Like it's easier to just say Atlanta when we're talking to people. And I guess that's what I was thinking mm -hmm. too when you said that. Yeah, they're both born in different towns, but in that area. Mm -hmm. So you're dealing with with the state of Georgia Mm -hmm. outside of Atlanta. You've got two different families. Walk us through what each one of those was like did because mm-hmm. i think i remember you telling me that they were very different experiences mm-hmm. so with jay we really kind of view this as like 
God's gift to us because it was like an adoption, an adoptive parent's dream Hmm. setup. Like we found the agency, we did all the paperwork, we got it done in like a few months because we were really motivated. I think we, from start to finish, bringing Jay home was less than a year, which is insane, really. Um, He was our very first call. They called us when he was two days old. They were like, you can come pick him up in a week and a half. And we were just like, huh, okay. <laughs> um, it, and it, but it also was like, we didn't have any failed placements to like process through. Like we were prepared for that. We're like, cause in Georgia, when um, a birth mother signs over her rights, she has a set amount of days to change her mind. Okay. And Jay's birth parents were still together. They had... A lot of things that our agency was like, they will probably change their mind. Mm-hmm. So they, they told us that. So we were like, okay, that's fine. So while we were waiting, you know, for during those, I think it was 10 days. I think that time is shortened now, but it was 10 days at that point. We were, you know, praying for them for wisdom and we were, and it, it put us in a whole different perspective for these people. Like all of a sudden there were two real people who were really processing this right. and working through it. And so we, we prayed for them deeply, often prayed for ourselves that we would, you know, be prepared either way. And then before we knew it, it was midnight on their last day to change their minds. And we were in Georgia going to pick them up the next day. Hmm. <laughs> so, um, what did you pray for them? Like what, what, how, how do you, th- how did you think about that? It was really complicated. I remember, um, my dad really struggled with that. Like he, he said, I, I want this baby to be yours, but I don't want them to hurt. And I was like, mm. absolutely. Mm. I totally get that. And that's kind of how we prayed. Not that they wouldn't hurt because we knew they would. Right. But we prayed just that God would overwhelm them with his protection and his comfort. Um, that they would make the right choice. Because we're like, it might be the right choice for them to keep their son. Mm. And if and if that's the case, then Lord, please protect us and our hearts. Who We've already seen pictures of this little boy. Mm. We've already, you know, all of that. Um, so it's hard. It's not just a simple, like, oh, dear Lord, let this be our baby. It makes it a lot more complicated when you actually think about the person making the choice. Mm. Um, but it was great. We flew out, we got Jay, and then we met with them a few days later. Um, so we have, technically it's a semi-open adoption with them. Um, but we, I mean, like we have each other on like Instagram, we can message each other back and forth. We don't have phone numbers or addresses or anything like mm. that. Um, all pictures and updates I still send through our agency mm. just sure because that's their protocol. Right. Um, but I, I love that like Jay can send them birthday video. Like I know their mm. birthdays and he wishes them happy birthday and oh, they, um, they will send him little videos or, and then when we went back to, pick up max later we got together with them again and mm. so we're planning on encouraging that relationship well for and are they are life. they still together mm-hmm. okay yep they are and yeah. what was their reason for giving jay up for adoption it was all financial all financial mm-hmm. okay yeah they um yeah that, that i mean that was the basic gist of it mm. is just that they couldn't afford care for him or give him the opportunities opportunities that they wanted him to have um but we like after we met with him the first time um jay's birth father he said this is the right thing this Mm. is 
And it's, yeah, there's so many things that like we just connected with them so well. Like they were just really wonderful people who just were in a rough situation, Mm. which is hard, but that also is kind of nice. Like when we tell Jay about his birth parents, like we have nothing but good things to say about them. Mm -hmm. Um, Because we always want to be honest with our kids and, And Max, we just, we don't know much about Max's birth mom. Um, We got Max when he was two months old. Okay. Um, And he, like, the circumstances were just much more different. Like, we don't know much about her. She didn't want to meet with us. Um, We know that he lived in several homes before ours. I think three, three homes before, like, we were. Were they relatives or it was just state-run foster care? One, one was foster care through our agency. Um, and then I'm not sure who the other one was. And then one was her. Mm. She had him. So he was two months old. We were the fourth family to bring him home. And he, there was trauma there already. Like Mm. we could, and, and not that Jay didn't have the trauma, but we could just feel it with Max. Like he was not it's a different kind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So he struggled to bond. Like I struggled to bond with him too. Um, and we, yeah, it was just very different. And there's, we still like send the updates to our agency and we're not sure if she's getting them or not, but our agency is keeping them all. And that way, just in case she comes back and says she wants them, they have all of them, mm. which I, that was one of the things we loved that mm. our agency does is like, even if, the birth mother says she doesn't want anything to do with the baby. We assume that she's going to come back around. Mm-hmm. And so they always give the benefit of the doubt to these women, which I think is amazing. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so with Max, it was just a lot. It was just harder. I mean, it was not any less beautiful, but it was definitely he, he was also the fourth baby we were matched with. too. Okay. Like he was like there were, I think. I think he was he was either the third or fourth i'm still i'm fuzzy on that time right. period um but we also brought him home the week before everything locked down for covid mm. so it was kind <laughs> of like everything was falling apart and so that poor kid just had a much different entrance into our family mm. but we can actually like see the difference in him from mm. who he was when he was two months old versus who he is at two years old like that kid is he's amazing Mm. and we're bonded so well that he is like glued to my hip (laughs) all day every day (laughs) right and what what was was it just time in terms of the bonding between you and him what what went into that what changed just time I think it was mostly time. It was really hard for me when we picked him up and I didn't feel this immediate like, this is my baby and I mm. love him because I think I had in my head that that's how it was going to be because that's how it was that's with Jay. That's how it was with Jay, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but by the grace of God, we were in Georgia at the same time that Rex's sister, who she's the one we stay with when we go, she was having like a friend's weekend mm. and, ha- and they there was people from all over that happened to be there at the same time that we were there. And one is another adoptive mom who had a similar experience. She adopted her son, I think from Haiti, but I, I could be wrong. Um, but she went, picked him up, thought she would feel an immediate connection with him and it wasn't there. And so 
I talked to her about it while we were all together and she was, she was just so gracious and kind. She was like, the act of loving him will make you love him. Right. She was like, that's all you have to remember is it, like love is, a, is an action. It's mm-hmm. not a feeling. So just take care of him and give yourself time mm-hmm. and don't beat yourself up. Wow. That's really good counsel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I could see how that would be really impacting for. Yeah. And it was a hundred percent true. Hmm. Yeah. And so you've got, so the, the boys are, are now, you have an open adoption or an open arrangement with mm-hmm. Jay's parents. Mm-hmm. What about with Max's? That's, so, well, maybe define that. Talk about what that yeah, is. Yeah. Max's is, it's also technically a semi open. Um, the, difference is is we're not getting anything back from his birth mom it's like we don't know if she's getting the updates but we're required to send them our agency is not required to tell us if she's getting them or not um where with jay's birth parents like like they tell us like hey we got the update packet today thank you so much and so it's definitely more open with them um but a semi-open is just that like our agency has our contact info they have all of her contact info and anytime we want to like meet up with her or if we if we want to open it up at all we have to each like come to the agency okay. and they'll facilitate it for us right. um which is great that's how that's how our relationship started with Jay's parents too like we had met them okay. but it wasn't until um we got together with them when we were picking up Max that we, like I asked, I said, do you want to like follow me on Instagram? And then you can see pictures of him more regularly. And Mm -hmm. she was so thankful that I was willing to do that. And so it can happen. Like the openness can happen organically, Mm -hmm. which I feel like gives this whole other level of like security. Like we, like I, I especially, I can't really speak for Rex on this, but I especially think that, an open adoption is the best thing if you can do that for ideally, your kids, yeah. ideally, but, um, it, it's really nice and comforting to have the agency as like a, mm-hmm. Medi- just a mediator. Yeah, in mm-hmm. the middle. So the kids are, and will always be yours. Mm-hmm. So that's not, that's not a question like that's mm-hmm. settled. Yeah. It's more of with the open or semi open. It's the, the degree of interaction they have. Mm-hmm. With their birth parents. Yep. Okay. Yep. And then like a fully closed, which most agencies don't recommend at all, is like there's no contact at all. You don't send updates. They don't, they're like gone. Mm. Um, and I don't think, I don't know of any agencies that are recommending that anymore. Really? Like they're finding for kids that like being able to remove that mystery of who do I look like? Who mm. do I, you know, oh, I really love music. Did one of my birth parents love music? Mm. Like just to have some idea of who right. they are is can be really healthy. If that makes sense, yeah. I mean, I could see it both. I guess I could argue mm-hmm. it both ways, but mm-hmm. at the same time, if there's any kind of openness and interaction, it mm-hmm. seems like that would be a positive thing. Mm-hmm. But it takes a special set of adoptive parents, I think, to do that as well. I mean, mm-hmm. for you and Rex, not to feel like, not to be threatened by mm-hmm. that relationship especially i mean even the the four years that you put into this mm-hmm. you know some some adoptive parents could resent that i could see that that yeah. the, the kid is is more more interested in their birth family 
for those reasons because that's who mm-hmm. they look like. That's where they come from. And I could see adoptive parents becoming, you know, maybe resentful is too strong a word, mm-hmm. but... Like insecure. Insecure, yeah, that's yeah. probably a better word. I'd say that we were a little bit of that before. Mm-hmm. Like, I think our experience with Jay's birth parents really shifted a lot of our... Mm-hmm. Ideas, which again is, I think God yeah, was like. It seems like that's that, just an amazing relationship that mm-hmm. that you have. And I also like I've been trying really hard to read up, like read about experiences of adult adoptees and mm-hmm. like how they how their adoptive parents handle things and how they feel about things. And most of the time, most people that I mean, they're like blogs and mm-hmm. yeah, not. What they're saying is even if their birth parents are like super messy, like let's say their lives are just a disaster, not people you'd want your kids to have a relationship with, like even if that's their where they come from, just knowing mm-hmm. that that's where they come from mm-hmm. helps ground or can help ground a lot of like their wandering imagination and mm-hmm. the like what ifs or um well it answers yeah. questions for them mm-hmm. and it it helps it helps them be able to mm-hmm. to to fill in that part of the picture mm-hmm. um, especially i think in in this situation where um you know your boys don't look like you and rex <laughs> right and <laughs> they're much cuter <laughs> <laughs> so i think the you know those kinds of things bubble up in in mm-hmm. a child's mind um, mm-hmm. it, let's talk about that a little bit because mm-hmm. uh, you you go to atlanta outside of atlanta mm-hmm. you bring back the two boys mm-hmm. they're both african-american mm-hmm. montana is um <laughs> pretty white pretty white yeah <laughs> As a state, Bozeman as a town, um, and again, it's one of those things where I don't, I don't have a sense that, and and some would say, oh, Craig, it's just because you don't understand. I, I don't really think so. I mean, every, I make a purpose whenever I see someone of of color, mm-hmm. whether it be in Walmart or wherever, I always go up to them mm-hmm. and 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 try to think of something to engage with them, mm-hmm. just so that they know that there's some white guy here in Montana <laughs> who likes them right. and is glad they're here, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's, um, it, it's an important thing. I think just certainly in my heart is, uh, because l- like you growing up in Idaho, which is not mm-hmm. exactly racially diverse either. Pretty white. Also. It's, it's, <laughs> it's important for us, I think, yeah. to, to, to be more proactive mm-hmm. in that regard. But I could also see, um, I don't know. Do you get what? What's been the reaction that you've had? Maybe I mean, hopefully not any bad ones from church. But sometimes, I mean, church people are church people, and yeah. we're all sinners. And but are there things that people have said that have just been kind of stupid or wrong, or have there been experiences that you've had or that the boys have had that you kind of wish you could take those back because of the the racial element? Yeah, not yet, really. I mean. Okay. When we were in Georgia, um, we were pretty isolated. It was like we were there with the boys. We were staying at my sister-in-law's house. We were pretty, you know, didn't really see anybody else. Mm-hmm. And most of the time here, I mean, I'd say 99.9% of the time, 
most people just tell us how cute they are, mm-hmm. um, which they are. Um, I had one woman at a grocery store. It's always at ask, a grocery store. I know. <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> ask me where their who where their mother was. I was like, mm. I'm right here. And <laughs> oh, that's a good response. Yeah, you know, I was like, I, but it wasn't. Like I don't know what her intention it wasn't was or what she, malicious. Right. It didn't yeah. come across as malicious. It was just kind of like a weird like. Okay. Yeah. Um, but most of the time, I think people are pretty accepting of it. Mm-hmm. I think that, especially with white people adopting black children in general, is pretty accepted. Is that true in the black community? Um, I I know there are some very loud African American people who are very opposed to it. Hmm. Um, which I have picked up on, like online mostly, and never in real life conversations right. with any black person have I had that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do know that there are, I think, a small group of loud Vocal. people who are opposed. Right. Um, I think the biggest thing that is kind of weird for me here is just that people know who I am, and I don't know why they know who I am. <laughs> like, Interesting. Like uh, there's people at the grocery store who. I don't even recognize and they'll say oh like they'll talk to Max or Jay like oh I it's good to see you guys back here again mm-hmm. and I'm like oh okay yeah you know who that's interesting or they'll comment on like if I go without the boys they're like oh I see you're here by yourself for once I'm like why do you know that I'm usually here with kids <laughs> interesting so they've kind of a, almost tagged you mm-hmm. a little bit in that she's She's the mom with mm-hmm. the cute little black boys, but sh- they're not with her now. And but we know who she is, even mm-hmm. though we don't know who she is. Yeah, and I, and I think most people that I've interacted with mean well. Yeah, it's, um, it's just their, their association, right. right? And it and it doesn't offend me. It's always just kind of surprising because right. I kind of try to blend into the background. <laughs> so <laughs> God had different plans for me there too. Right. Um, I think. One of the big things that people have said to me at church, which again, I know their intentions are good and I'm not like, if you're one of the people who have said this to me, (laughs) I know that you meant well. Um, But when people who don't really know us well, like, like you maybe could have been a person like, you know, like we know each other, but we don't know each other really well, would come up and say, oh, your boys are so lucky to be with you and like i get that what they're saying is you and rex have a lot to offer and And they're trying to affirm that trying to affirm it and but especially after like i'd say like even before max but like with jay especially i would it was hard for me not to get offended on behalf of his birth parents Mm -hmm. like why is he lucky to be with us his he was ripped from his family and like he had no say in the matter and i would get i could feel myself get bristly Mm -hmm. Um, and that's not even like a bad thing for someone to say. Right. Like I, I get it and it's, it's okay. And I'm much more like when people say that, I usually just say, actually, I feel really lucky Mm. to have these boys. Yeah. So it, it's not really a stupid thing for people to say, but it's one of those things where I'm like, ah, you don't really know my sin. Maybe they're not lucky to be with me. (laughs) Well, I think people, it's the same thing at, at funerals. Um, Mm -hmm. 
one of the things that I always say about funerals is everybody becomes a theologian yeah. at a funeral because they don't know what to say. Mm-hmm. And I think that mm-hmm. it's the same it's the same thing in many ways in a situation like mm-hmm. this because as much as adoption, as much as people understand or think they understand mm-hmm. what adoption is, they haven't necessarily gone through it. And it's mm-hmm. a different deal. I mean, we got the same thing. We did foster care. I, mm-hmm. I think I told you yeah. when we were in Oklahoma, we did foster care for two years. And we had, during that time, we had 14 little kids, uh, not all at once, uh, <laughs> but we usually had at least two at a time because we mm-hmm. would get brothers or sisters, you know, combinations. Mm-hmm. But they were five and under. And mm-hmm. so we would, we, we would have, we would have them, and um, and it was great because our girls were at an age where they could really help, and it was mm-hmm. foster care by committee. And <laughs> but but it's it's the kind of thing that I think people like people appreciate it. Mm-hmm. They appreciate foster care. They appreciate adoption, and I think they want to affirm that. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times, it's it's one of the like your example is a good one it's almost at the expense of the kids mm-hmm. because they're trying to affirm you as the parent. Right. And again, kudos to you in that, you know, you don't get easily offended by that. And I like, I like your response of how you turn it back and say, well, actually, mm-hmm. you know, I'm grateful. And, and we, our experience was the same way, you yeah. know, over those two years, and we were, we were pretty, we were really seriously going to adopt the last two that we mm-hmm. had, these two little guys, brothers, um, and then we had to move and, mm. um, and that was heartbreaking, uh, cause they were with us for nine months and, mm. you know, I mean, they were ours. Mm. <laughs> I mean, we, we had a good relationship with their parents and, um, they were very grateful for our involvement with their family, much like it was even more proactive mm-hmm. because it was foster care. Right. But I think people want to affirm, but it's it's still just kind of a it's such a it's such a novel thing in so many ways because mm-hmm. we're so tribal mm-hmm. in many regards, and I think that's the I mean adoption is such a picture of God's mm-hmm. love to us and for us in that mm-hmm. um, you know the the family that He gives us in the context of the church. Um, there's there's such a beauty to that adoption as mm-hmm. we are adopted as as God's children, brothers of Christ, sisters of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still a foreign concept mm-hmm. because I think people people think one of two things: one, I'm not worth being adopted, mm-hmm. or maybe something like what you wrestled with a little bit is I don't know if I could do that. Mm-hmm. Like I remember one of the I'm talking a lot here, but <laughs> one of the I remember people would come up to us in, in kind of the same way, and they would say, "Boy, we really, or, or we really love what you're doing with the boys." Um, I I couldn't do that, mm-hmm. and, and I don't know if you've <laughs> have you had that one. Yeah, before? I had that one. Too. Well, you know, they say oh, I can't do that. I go, I yeah, like, we're just heartless. I mean, we just <laughs> it doesn't affect us at all. Yeah. <laughs> We just we just take care of them, send them on. I mean, that's the only way we get through it. Yeah. You know, it, you you want to be snarky and sarcastic yep. like that. And what mm-hmm. I used to tell our girls every time we had to give kids back mm-hmm. in foster care, I said, if if this doesn't hurt, mm-hmm. we're not doing it right. Oh, yep. And mm-hmm. and I think that that's the thing that um, until you've really gone through that. Mm-hmm. 
Um, it, it's hard to understand, but mm-hmm. but everybody can do this. Yeah. I mean, if you can love, you can do this. Mm-hmm. And I think whether it's foster care or adoption, um, I just I think people underestimate, especially Christians, what God is capable of mm-hmm. in putting that love in their heart for these these little people who. Mm-hmm. You know, and not even little people. I mean, there's a huge need for kids aging out of, mm-hmm. of foster care. You know, and they're 18, and, and where are they going? Yeah. What are they doing? Anyway, yeah. sorry. I yeah. t- told you everything that you already know. But um, <laughs> let me get your take on this, because mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, one of the things in light of... There, there's always the discussion. It's been a debate for my entire life, at least 49 years of my 51 here on the earth, of um, uh, with regard with Roe versus Wade, um, the the pro-choice, the pro-life mm-hmm. camps. Um, the the pro-choice camp, um, I think, has has especially within recent years has has said to the effect of. Um, you know, the pro-life movement only cares about the baby mm-hmm. and only about the baby being born. Mm-hmm. It, not the mother leading up to that time, mm-hmm. not the baby and the mother mm-hmm. after that time. What's your take on that? You, I mean, you've been in these, you've been in this, in the adoptive circles mm-hmm. now. Um, what have you seen locally? What have you seen nationally? Do you agree or disagree with that? What's yeah. your thought? So I, I kind of come at it from two different angles. So a little background, I'm an Enneagram 9, so I, I see all perspectives pretty easily, which is great and also really frustrating sometimes <laughs> when I want a solid, firm opinion. Okay. Um, so I, I can see that, um, why they would think that. Like it, especially on like a national level, when you look at like their... I really don't want to get political, but it's kind of impossible not to. Like, there are people who are voting pro-life, and they're also voting down, like, um, wage increase mm. or, you know, all, or like, I don't know, child care costs or paternity leave or, you know, like, and so I can see how unless... Like, if, if that's the story you're getting, that these people are voting pro-life and they're voting down all these things that would help us raise our children, they don't actually care. Like, I, I mean, again, I'm saying that's the story because I'm not that's saying... That's definitely the narrative. That's, that's the narrative. Sure. Um, and on, I suppose there's probably some truth to it at different in different elements, different places. Right. I don't think it's wholly true, but at the same yeah. time, what you're saying is mm-hmm. if that's what you're getting, if that's presented... As, especially on like a national level, if you're hearing yes. like that's what's happening in that state, sure, and it fires you up, but you don't live in that state, you don't really know. So on a on a personal level, and like especially what I see in the church, that's not what I see. Mm-hmm. So it's hard for me when I hear that because I want to, I want to be, like I want to honor the experiences of others, and like I don't have that experience, but if that's what you've experienced from people who say they're pro life, that is heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, especially when I think about our church specifically, like it's hard for me to imagine a woman coming through our doors who is finding herself facing this decision and not being supported. Mm -hmm. Like I, I'm married to a deacon. Like I know how hard they try to help help. and they help people 
not once they've been at the church for several years. Like they help people pretty quickly Hmm. when they come through the doors. That's been my sense too, is that Mm -hmm. I just can't imagine, certainly at our church, but any church I've been a part of, I mean, I just, I just don't see, I don't see the reluctance or the unwillingness to try to come alongside. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if you look yeah. at the number of preg- crisis pregnancy centers, which mm-hmm. most of them are associated with or have been started by mm-hmm. churches, you're talking any, depending on who you read, anywhere from 2,500 to 4,000 crisis pregnancy centers mm-hmm. in the country. And, and the church is always, from the very beginning, going back mm-hmm. to New Testament times, Old Testament times, has always valued the, the worth and the life of the mm-hmm. individual. And that's yeah. that's really one of the early markers of the early church, is they mm-hmm. would go to the trash heaps outside the yeah. cities where the children who were either deformed or mm-hmm. were girls because they didn't mm-hmm. want girls, they would they would take them in because they'd mm-hmm. been left left out to to exposure, to right. die. Um, anyway, yeah. so, so from your perspective, you're, it's, I mean, do you have stories that, that you can, can share that, you know, toward that end of things, beautiful things that you've seen done on oh. behalf of the needs before, oh. during, after? I mean, well, for, I mean, from supporting us specifically, yeah, start there. our, our church, um, I'd say one of the one of my favorite things that our church did for us is like when we were going through infertility, um, I I think there was at one point while we were trying to get pregnant, nine or ten pregnant women at our church. Oh wow. And, which was very isolating for me. Right. Um, and made me feel very alone. Mm. And so I I talked to someone about it and then they came alongside me and helped me helped remind me that I wasn't alone. And, mm-hmm. um, and I think like that's about us and infertility, but I also know there have been birth mothers who have gone to our church. Mm-hmm. Like I know one I was really good friends with. Um, she's since moved, but, um, I, I'm pretty sure she was going to the church while she was pregnant and placed her baby. And I know for sure they came alongside her and, didn't shame her, didn't, you know, load on the guilt or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I have plenty of stories from like the deacon's perspective yeah. of helping people, which I'm not going to share obviously, right. but, um, so I don't, so yeah, I think our church does a good job, but I also, I can't pretend like every church does a good job. Like sure. there's a reason that people are scared to go to the church when they're hurting, Mm. you know, like there's, there's that fear that's not a hundred percent unfounded because we're all sinners and we're all together in one happy little place. (laughs) Well, and this is a, Mm -hmm. in, in, in a situation where, Mm -hmm. um, if, if a woman becomes pregnant out of wedlock or, Mm -hmm. um, out of adultery with mm-hmm. uh, a married man. And again, there's a whole element of mm-hmm. what can be done to help men mm-hmm. do a better job of taking responsibility mm-hmm. and coming alongside the woman, you know, at least until the baby is born, but even preferably after. Mm-hmm. I mean, can can we can we help guys with through within the church, but mm-hmm. then 
I don't know. It's one of those things where you just want to take some of these guys and say, look, <laughs> it takes two to tango. Mm-hmm. You tangoed and let's, let's step up here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think it's just, it's one of those things where uh, the woman bears so much of the responsibility yeah. and burden of that. And in, in to a degree, and I talked about this when, when Catherine and I were talking about it, when we we're talking about abortion, it's it's it, it's understandable mm-hmm. to a degree that there are women legitimately struggling because of their life circumstances, mm-hmm. because of the burden that they bear. Mm-hmm. That that's a real thing. Now that's mm-hmm. not, but, but I think that the part of the narrative that is so missing is that's a smaller percentage mm-hmm. of why women are getting abortions mm-hmm. and, you know there was a i found this study that this was it's a, it's a few years old it's from the brookings institute but a study that they said that single women who earned forty-seven thousand plus a year aborted 32 percent of their babies single mm-hmm. women making eleven thousand six seventy a year or less mm-hmm. aborted 8.6 percent of their babies so this is not you know the issue is not mm-hmm. only Mm-hmm. about desperation and poverty but mm-hmm. regardless i think we we've got to be able to to rally around those women who are in those tough poverty mm-hmm. situations as well as i think try to help women who aren't in those poverty mm-hmm. situations this is a lifestyle choice mm-hmm. that they're making and i think that that's something that they they forget mm-hmm. that the baby is the one who's going to pay the price mm-hmm. And for us as a church, how do we say mm. the, the baby doesn't have to pay this price? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I so I'm actually glad you steered us in that direction because I I was I've been thinking about this a lot. I mean, for many years, I um, like my parents are not perfect, but one of the things that they did very very well for me is I never once doubted their love. Like it was, and it was unconditional. Mm. Like I knew, like, even though like I, I made very poor choices in college, but I knew like if I ever found myself with an unplanned pregnancy, I could go to them Mm. and they'd be disappointed. Their hearts would break that I made choices that led to that. But I knew that they would love me no matter what. Mm. And so I never had to have that conversation with my parents Mm -hmm. by the grace of God, but I was never afraid of being cast out. Now I had this conversation with someone that has stuck with me. I mean, I think I, it was like 11 or 12 years ago. And they said the reason that they wait, one of the reasons that they waited to have sex until they got married is because they knew that if they found themselves with an unplanned pregnancy, they're, their parents, especially their father, would have kicked them out and disowned them. And so I remember just thinking that was crazy. Like how, like then they're kicking out their grandbaby and I got all, all huffy and sad. And, um, and I think that like as a church, as a Christian community, as parents, like we need to figure out how to be a safe place for people to come when they find themselves in desperate situations instead of a place where they're afraid of being judged. Right. Like I think if we could convince more people that like, look, we're safe, we love you, 
we're sorry you're in these circumstances, but we're going to help you. Mm-hmm. We're going to figure it out together, whether that means helping you keep and raise your baby or help you facilitate adoption. Like, we're all here right. and we love you no matter what. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like that is what needs to happen <laughs> well, somehow. Even, even bef- I mean, let's, let's include the, the, the kids of our families. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not just it's not just atheistic women mm-hmm. who are having abortions. Right. A lot of times it is. I don't know. I, I shouldn't say a lot of times because I don't know, but I know that there's scenarios mm-hmm. where because of that pressure of growing mm-hmm. up in a Christian family, they mm-hmm. make a mistake on the front end of what they're thinking or not thinking at mm-hmm. the time, mm-hmm. and they become pregnant. And I mean, I. I saw a tweet the other day where someone was saying that she went to a, a Christian college and she said, you don't want to know the number of girls mm-hmm. whose parents are involved or on staff or are pastors mm-hmm. at churches who they paid for the, ado- the abortion right. because of the family reputation. Yeah. And that's a problem yeah. within the church. I mean, that that's not something that, that we should look lightly at and, mm-hmm. and say, oh, well, it's, it's, it's it's not really going on right and i'm the same way in that i we have four daughters you know them mm-hmm. all um we've raised them a, a certain perspective and 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 a way you know sex after marriage um in in that relationship mm-hmm. but i want to be the same way mm-hmm. and girls if you're listening to this <laughs> let me just reiterate i know we've talked about this but you know, you are loved mm-hmm. and we're not going to make a baby atone for your sin. Right. Jesus mm-hmm. has done that. And I think that's the thing that mm-hmm. we have to, as a church, you're so right on is we have to be able to show that mercy and grace mm-hmm. to whoever needs it, mm-hmm. not in judgment, not to make ourselves feel better about ourselves, but because the need is there right. and it's not... Jesus has already died for the sin. Let's not make the baby do that. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that I, I, I just want to, oh, it's, it's sorry. I'm, yeah. I'm, it just, this, this whole thing is, uh, oh, it's just hard. It's, it's so hard. And I, you know, one of my oh, go-to feelings that I hang on to is like guilt and shame. Mm. And so if I'm already feeling that from myself. Sure. You don't need any help. I don't need any <laughs> help. I don't need anyone to tell me like, hey, you should feel guilty. Like, yeah, I'm, I got yeah, that covered. Thank there. you. Yeah. Um, but even that, like, if you're in the wrong mindset, even those words like, don't make the baby pay for it. It's like, while that is true, it we also. Be, it could be guilt inducing. It could be guilt inducing. So we you're have right. to be so careful how we're. Yeah talking to these people and just I but I, and I don't even know like what the right thing to say is like I just no, critiqued you word. but I don't actually know what the right thing is so <laughs> well, no, that's good. don't I do mean, that no, but do something I, I think figure it out that's a that's a good it's one thing to right. talk about it theoretically and I would never say that mm-hmm. to someone to someone and that's I, I hope that, I would yeah. yeah but 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 even I, mean, I appreciate the I appreciate the the critique because I think um you're right there is such a um People are already dealing with the guilt mm-hmm. and the shame. Yeah. And I think a lot of time, and it, there, there's definitely people who 
their consciences mm-hmm. have been so hardened mm-hmm. that they don't. Mm-hmm. You know, these are the the women who are out right. there celebrating their abortions mm-hmm. and and calling people to have them Which and to yeah, it's, it's not the majority. It's not the majority. Right. It's it's mm-hmm. the the fringe. Mm-hmm. It's the vocal. It's what makes for the news. You know, this this makes for a yeah. good story. But I think I think you're right. Um, a friend of mine sent me, uh, uh, and I'm going to put it on the on the web page for the podcast. Mm-hmm. But there's there's a, a great a, a, a movement or a website of this organization, and they're trying to rebrand the language a little bit. Not pro-choice, not pro-life. Mm-hmm but pro-grace. Mm-hmm. And, you know, initially it sounds a little cheese ball, sounds a little <laughs> Christian-y. I, you know, I, I kind of react to stuff like that. But mm-hmm. I get what, and, and their website is really well done. It's very well written. And uh, I'll put, you know, the link is, is on the page. But um, it, it really it really made me think a little bit mm-hmm. about, you know, how, how, do we, how do we find a third way here? Mm-hmm. Not that pro-life is bad, mm-hmm. but how do we, again, step across the ditch mm-hmm. in a way that maybe that language prohibits mm-hmm. us from doing? You know, how do, how, yeah. do we, how do we connect better? Yeah, well, we need to, like, offer a hand right. instead of keeping that wall there. I, one of the things I've been – I was so con- – so convicted by myself in this area that I like deleted my Facebook entirely. (laughs) But I found that I was also like sharing things on social media and I had to step back and go like, who, who am I sharing this for? Mm -hmm. Like if I, if I'm sharing a pro-life thing, Mm -hmm. is it for people who already agree with me? And if so, why am I sharing it? Or if I'm, if it's for people who don't agree with me, is this, offering a hand and inviting them over or is this pushing them away mm. it's like one of the things i i've kind of gotten on a high horse about lately so sorry <laughs> is like if you share especially with pro-life things if you share something are you going to be inviting someone to come to you if they find themselves in that situation mm-hmm. or are you making yourself not a safe person to talk to you know and i'm not not saying that you should never share any like pro-life things on social media or you should never like march or you know right. nothing i'm not saying that that stuff is wrong but i think it's really important that we think about how we're how we're coming across to people who think differently from us are we inviting right. them in or are we like unconsciously pushing them away mm-hmm. and i think at the end of the day, I really hope if I have a friend who finds herself with an unplanned pregnancy, I desperately hope that she comes to me as a safe person right. that she can talk talk to about it mm-hmm. and say, and even say, I'm thinking about an abortion. Mm-hmm. And I would love to be that safe person mm-hmm. for someone to share that with. So then it's, I can hold her and I can tell her I'm sorry that you're feeling that way and... Mm-hmm walk through it together I am I'm not sure there's a better word than that I mean I think that is that is our hope certainly in the Mm -hmm. church as Mm -hmm. Christians and we've we've blown it I've blown it I mean I've uh, I you know it's it's trying to take that that firm stand with 
with a loving step mm-hmm. and yeah. um, we don't do it all all well I certainly yeah. don't and um, I think if we can if we can help others even as we're struggling you know to 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 model that ourselves mm-hmm. then I do have hope that mm-hmm. if you know if Roe versus Wade goes away it comes back to the states mm-hmm. that's a that's a whole new uh, in many ways that's a game changer and mm-hmm. at the same time it's we're still called to do the same thing we're mm-hmm. still called to love people we're still called to meet them where they are we're still called mm-hmm. to hold to truth and at the same time to um to be a bridge to it mm-hmm. and um i really appreciate all that you shared and your mm-hmm. perspective your story and um mm-hmm. i'm just grateful that uh you've uh I'm grateful for what you and Rex are doing for Jay and for Max. I mean, in many ways, you're you're saving their lives, even as God is working in yours. And uh, so, thanks for for being on. Yeah, thank you so much, Craig. Mm-hmm.